Thanks for joining us today at BIB Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. The pandemic predictably hurt many sectors of the economy, but one sector that rather unpredictably boomed was real estate. The nearly 18 months now of the pandemic has only fueled the sector. Prices are moving very swiftly upward. What's been behind this and why is there an actual issue of supply of housing for the available demand in an economy that's generally suffered? And what might happen next? For some of the answers to these questions, I've enlisted Nick Niaxo, who's one of British Columbia's authorities on real estate because he's one of its most successful realtors. He's an independent affiliate of the Angel Hassman organization in West Vancouver. Good to have you with us today, Nick. Welcome. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for inviting me on your first episode. Really appreciate it. Yeah, good. Listen, let's let's talk a bit about what is going on in the uh, in the market right now. Um, it, Prices are are rising, um, but and supply is somewhat constrained. Um, you know, what's happened here? It's a great question. I was if you would have um, gone back in time eighteen months, if you asked me the same question, I would say doom and gloom. We we are done. The real sun pandemic is going to overtake. Shutdowns happening, and um, you know we're going to have to get new jobs. But, you know, looking forward now and see what happened, well, we, it's funny how people adapt. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, you know, we, we can take it overboard in both ways. We can, we can predict um, downturns in markets and go way to the right, or we can predict booms in market go way to the left. We never, ever hit those, those um, outlying numbers, but we always kind of, kind of settle in the middle. However, with with COVID, this is a complete unknown to everybody, and and I think predicting what would happen, you know, it, you couldn't. But what did happen was we had about a you know back in uh, twenty, I guess twenty twenty March March we had this you know major shutdown in um, in all business, and and then it sort of the business lagged into April, um, and then. In May, we saw a little bit of breath in the market. And then after that, we just had, there's just one gangbusters. People, you know, interest rates dropped, um, access to capital increased. People started to, you know, who wanted to buy in the past started buying, but supply became limited because people were afraid to have people in their homes. Yeah. So, so then it's just basic economics. Yeah. But, but there was, Another kind of anxiety that was going on at that point, too, which was people had to be concerned about their own occupations, their businesses, and, and the uncertainty that's around that. And, and yet they seemed almost right away willing to go out and spend like they've never spent before on their largest possession. What, what do you think was, that was about? So that's a great question as well. And I deal with a lot of the uh, you know, higher net worth individuals in Vancouver when it comes to buying and selling. And for them, they actually made a lot of money in that time period. The stock markets crashed. They got their capital out. They reinvested, you know, and, and next thing you know, they've made an incredible amount of money in a short period of time in the markets as well. You know, anticipating the fact that we aren't going to be traveling for the next two years, people started to invest in their homes. And so this is a great, you know, you, you, for the first time in a very long time that I know, people were spending, you know, majority of the time at home with their family. And this is a completely new social dynamic 
amongst families. Like you really get to know your family and your partner. Um, and, and, you, and, you, and you come to, to see that everything's a little bit too small. So people upsized. We saw a lot of upsizers happen. And, and, um, and as supply was you know, diminishing, um, prices started to, to, to increase. And, that's, and access to capital was very easy as well. It was easier last year than this year to get a, a, a very good mortgage from the bank. So all these sort of this perfect storm per se created this you know, elevation in market demand and price. So I understand if people were upsizing, um, but why, why was there not then a concurrent amount of supply that came on? Another, that's a good question. So people were, so there's people who were thinking about selling who had no real motivation to sell at that point um, and were afraid of the virus, didn't want anybody in their house. So they, they didn't, they, you know, some people, like I had many clients take their houses off the market just because of the fear of COVID. Right. So we saw supply decreased because of that fear, but demand increased. And then, you know, it, it became very quickly a seller's market. Mm-hmm. If um, if you can look back now and you you would kind of start this one over again, uh, you know, where were the mistakes made, though, by those who are are kind of administering or governing um, the sector? Was the was the access to capital just a little too easy? I guess that will answer itself a little bit later. At this at this point, um, I know that, that you know we do have a lot of personal debt as a, as a society. You know we're quite highly leveraged as a country, um, but you know I understand the fact that they were trying to you know people you know with all the stimulus packages, all you know the, the small businesses packages, the the um, the grants um, and whatnot. Those programs were very successful in keeping the economy afloat. Um, I think you know the the. The government did do, do, do a fairly good job, you know, you know, keeping us, you know, from crashing. Um, but you know, as access to capital became became you know easier for the general public on the banking side, the the ability for banks to borrow from the Bank of Canada became you know better as well. So these you know there were you know the margins that they were creating, um, you know, they're basically borrowing their money at nothing from the bank from the, the Bank of Canada. So they're able to offer these these low interest um, rates to mortgagees, and and you know what banks want to do, they also want to um, you know attract or, or take new mar- market share from other banks. So other programs in the high net worth sector, you know, it, you didn't just get your mortgage; you actually had to do a personal investment in private banking in order to secure that you know one point four four percent mortgage on two million dollars, which is I've never seen before. And, but there was sort of, remember the gas wars kind of mm-hmm. reminded me of that. And the, it was the bank, the bank wars and it's still going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're of course, one of the most successful people in, in the sector and your specialization is exactly in this area of you know, what I think we refer to as luxury, uh, luxury homes um, with high net worth people. Did the market get distorted? By their ability to um, to you know to just sail forward on this and and you know did it did it affect other portions of the sector in, in a way that you know that we're only starting to understand now? 
I, I believe so. Um, there are markets that had that performed extremely well, and I would say not all markets did during this time period. The downtown market, the downtown condo market, is still lagging. You know, back when its high was in 2016. Same as the West Vancouver market. The West Vancouver market has not caught up to the prices in 2016 yet, but they definitely narrowed the gap. North Vancouver, however, they've surpassed their 2016 numbers. And this is one of the markets that's really seen a, an uptick in their um, the housing price index. And one of the most surprising, I would say, figures is it has to be uh, Tri-Cities and Fraser Valley. Areas like Langley City have seen a you know, 15, 20% easy increase year over year in pricing on the housing price, housing pricing index. But if you look at Vancouver as a whole as, on detached market, we're up 17% year over year. So that's, you know, that's a very hot, a very quick increase in value. Yeah. You know, you, you often see that that's back, you know, that's 2016 numbers in terms of percentages. Because if I can uh, go back to the days just before the pandemic, I mean, the market wasn't particularly robust. There were some concerns that there was a little bit of a uh, depression going on in some of the pricing. Um, clearly, the provincial government was trying to cool the market considerably and all of that. Um, and it obviously just hasn't worked. It, well, in 20, so November 2019, um, it was slow. Uh, the, the, the luxury market was very slow. It was tough to even get a showing on high-end properties. Um, going into Christmas, and you know, it's a, it's it. It was a. We, we thought we were into the cycle where you know we, have, we usually run a seven to ten year cycle in in housing prices, and we thought we were sort of dipping again, sort of back to the you know back to the twenty eighteen early to, like right after the twenty sixteen bump, back to those figures. Where it felt the same. I mean, realtors on the front lines, you can feel the market change with the activity of your listings. And uh, our and activity was way down, and sellers were starting to panic. So we were seeing people taking losses because you know we we're coming to their year ends. This is the best time to take a loss if you had some offsets. So developers were taking losses, um, and and that kind of you know also helps drive the price down in land and also in homes. Um, I mean, the, it's hard. You know, if you're looking at positives of the pandemic, the pandemic really really reshaped our market. Will this yeah. last going forward? It's hard to say, but but you know, being seventeen percent increase year over year, you know you can't sus sustain those numbers forever. There has to be a leveling off or a dip. Yeah, you mentioned earlier uh, places like Langley City and Tri Cities doing extremely well. Was that um, was that a consequence of people in say Vancouver looking at what the pandemic was doing in terms of their own lifestyle, maybe? guessing that they might be able to work remotely a little bit more often, uh, maybe even permanently, and just wanting wanting space. And that was that was it. I mean, as 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 work life changed and the whole idea of work life changed and it innovated, I mean, we saw an increase in the way that we we were we were productive at work. Um, that should, you know, that should have taken about five years, you know, because of tech, increased in about five months. So we saw an exponential increase in technology and how we can adapt that to, you know, productivity, which is the key, work at home. So, um, so yes, that's exactly it. So this is one of the reasons why the downtown market suffered 
was because people were selling their, you know, their condos for a million dollars and buying a townhouse out in the valley. And they could and they could have a better quality of home life and be able to be as productive or if not more productive at home. And and um and that is the number one driver for those markets for sure. People leaving the core. Um and uh that and investors seeing that as well. So I have a lot of investors that bought in Langley City, um, Tri-Cities, Mission, um, all the way up to Chilliwack, investment mm-hmm. condos, thinking that anticipating that that's where the people are going. Yeah. What I wonder about, Nick, is what's going to happen if, say, later this year, when maybe we're through, you know, maybe we're into step four and, you know, we're, there's some kind of return to work going on in, in all places. What's going to happen then when a lot of these people who moved, who kind of fled the city, are going to find out that maybe they can't work remotely five days a week? Right? Is, is there, uh, will there be a sudden glut of properties in the surrounding communities? You know, I don't think so. I think the leaders in the industry are adapting to what the people want now, what their employers, employees want now. And uh-huh. there might be a middle ground, but, you know, I, I have clients that work, you know, in executive Lululemon, for example, and, and they're not requiring their employees who are in the, you know, who are, who are not in the retail space to come to work every single day they're working with them to keep that that home life culture as a priority so they can retain you know their talent very mm-hmm. competitive market in vancouver um, mm-hmm. for good talent and it's and uh and the cost of losing an employee is very expensive and i understand that and i've heard i've heard um, several managers talk about exactly that they don't want to lose their people but i've also heard some other managers say guess what? I can now look for people anywhere in the world. I mean, if, if it's going to be remote work, I can get somebody in another country to do this. Uh, I, uh, in some cases, uh, with, uh, with occupations that don't, don't require, say, local knowledge. So, you know, I wonder what that is going to do in terms of, you know, making people concerned about the decisions that they've made during the pandemic about where they're going to live. And whether that's going to kind of opt them out of uh, the workplace. It's a it's a good comment. It's it's hard to say. There's there's so many factors on what. There's not one item that can that can hurt the market. It's going to, to it's going to, it's a multitude of items that affect the market. We can pretty we can insulate one bad or one negative um, you know ingredient in the market, but we, it would take three, four, five negative ingredients to 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 really shift the market from where it is right now and part of that's going to be government policy and and banking policy that's those are going to be our biggest factors and yeah. then uh, and then the unemployment maybe would have the right so, so there's you know one company's not going to do it whereas where i see other companies are very much trying to adapt to the new way of of employment yeah um, one policy area, of course, that has been highly controversial, and and you have to deal with it all the time in the luxury market because you're dealing in some cases with international buyers, has has been you know a, a, a tax on foreign ownership, and um, and I wonder wonder what are your observations now, um, a couple of years into this in a Vancouver situation, um, and into a British Columbian situation, uh, in terms of what it is. Or whether it's having any particular effect 
on just, you know, on, on uh, deterring people from coming here? Not necessarily at all. I mean, there are programs now for foreigners to get their PRs and to get and become landed immigrants. And that's like the, it's, it's a really good headline when you, when you see foreign buyers are causing our market to increase. It's not the case at all. These, the people who are buying, you know, they may have, they may be, you know, first generation, but they have their, their, their proper paperwork, their PR status or their passports. So they're exempt from the, the foreign buyers tax. This is very, in the last four years, I've maybe been involved in two uh, buyers who have been true foreign buyers who've paid, you know, the, 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 the high tax that we have. Um, but we're talking, and that's in the, you know, the 10, $15 million price point where it doesn't really matter for them anyways. Um, but for the most part, it's, we rarely see uh, a foreign buyer purchase right now. It's all, they're all landed immigrants and all residents. And that's one of the frustrations I have with, with you know, the idea of seeing, if you see a foreigner or somebody who's not from or Canada, who's been immigrated here buy a property, right away it's foreign buyer. It's not the case. We have the same rights as they do and they have the same rights as we do. Um, and so, and they're, they're, they're making their, they're, they've brought money into our economy, into our country, and they're making a purchase on their own as being residents of, the, of our country. Yeah. So the, so the uh, occasional uh, comment that really they're, they're not really, they're not living here. They're not investing here. They're simply parking their, their money in an asset here is, is in your view, just not on. Um, we're talking about foreign buyers, um, people who have immigrated here and brought their wealth here from countries that were, you know, you know, let's say for China, uh, mainland China, your wealth isn't protected. You know, if the government comes after you, they can take your money with, with, and you have no, with, you have no way to, to fight that here. We have rights and we have human rights and we have you know laws that protect you, uh, as a, as a citizen or as a resident. So yeah, I mean, if you're coming from an area that has a hostile economic um, atmosphere, you're going to move as much wealth into a safe place as possible, and that's what's going on. And in China, it's in in their history of wealth creation, it's all about it's, it's been all about buying real estate. That's what they know, and they and they so they you know in China they buy condos and they buy houses and they buy real estate and they've created wealth that way, and then they've liquidated, they've moved their money over to Canada over a period of time. And they're doing the same thing here. It's, they're doing what they know. Yeah, but it's a small cohort. It's not a giant cohort in your view. It's, it's, a, it's a small portion of the population that's doing that. And, and you know, you do see, you, you, you only really hear the negative side of that behavior. And it usually translates into empty home on the West side that's not taken care of. Hmm. Right? With a law, you know, that they've let, let the, the foliage overgrow and yeah, yeah absolutely i don't like that at all i mean there's ways that there's, there's solutions to that if the government wants to really or the, or the municipalities want to tackle that but it's not a that's not the problem yeah um last last thing uh, because I, i'm still intrigued with this access to capital piece mm-hmm. and and yet i also know that governments you know the the monetary policy of the bank of canada is is such that they don't want interest rates to really rise too high because that will discourage all kinds of other investment 
you know, you, you know, investment not only in property but investment in developing business, in in venture and capital and innovation and all those things. They're so important. But but do you see something trying to shape up here, Nick, in order to cool off the buying frenzy over the next while? I think the banks are starting to do so in in, in respect to um, requiring a lot more information and financial history of the buyers. Um, you know, and, and and being able to secure their their loans by by asking for more down payment. Now, I'll give you an example. I was working on a four point eight million dollar deal this time last year. I could have got that. I could, you know, my client had thirty five percent down. Could have, you know, without question, got a, a you know got a mortgage, a typical standard mortgage, without even an appraisal of the property. Mm. Now that has shifted a bit. Where now they want forty to fifty percent down. They want an investment in the private banking of let's say half a million dollars, and mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the that that's the part of the term sheet of that mortgage. Um, so yeah, it, the banks are slowly you know backing off a little bit and uh, creating more security for their stakeholders when it comes to uh, lending on, on luxury property. Yeah, uh, are there other alternative forms of financing that are creeping in to luxury property because of that? Yeah, so I'd say private, private um, financing has been um, is is a it's cheap, relatively cheap. You know, right now you could go and you know for another option for my client was to put down thirty five percent for a five point nine nine percent interest only uh, loan, private loan to be repaid. You know, with a, with an open term, so you can repay back, pay that mm-hmm. whenever you like, and it's only an interest. It's an interest only payment. So this is solutions, you know, this is a solution for a buyer to get interim financing while they, you know, while they work on their mortgage with the bank. It takes a lot longer right now to get a high net worth client with, you know, usually they don't have the income to support um, the amount of money they want to borrow. So they're using their net worth to secure that loan. And it just takes a lot longer. Take, instead of a week, it takes three weeks or so to get, a, to get you know, to get options for lending. And yet, uh, because of the scarce supply, uh, the low inventory, a lot of sellers don't want to necessarily indulge people, right? This is where the private financing comes in for short, for short interim financing. And it does, you know, you're paying you're paying that one percent fee to, to achieve that, um, the, you know, to secure that loan. But you know, but in the grand scheme of things, you're buying a, a home for your family that you love. People are willing to take on that short risk or that more expensive money and replace it later once they have the, the finance that they want for the long term. Hmm. Well, Nick, it's been a great conversation. Uh, we touched a lot of bases here, uh, and we'll explore that in in uh, you know more discussions to come. But thanks a lot for your time today, Nick. You bet. Thanks for having me. Appreciate All it. Right. Nick Niaksu is a real estate agent uh, on the on the North Shore in West Van. Uh, he's uh, one of the more prominent ones. In, uh, in the lower mainland right now. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Thanks a lot for watching. I'll see you again.